Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, let's talk about the B.C. government's crackdown on Airbnb now and other short-term rental platforms like Verbo, Airbnb. That's the big one, though. It has exploded in popularity in British Columbia. There are 28,000 Airbnb listings in B.C., and that number has grown dramatically in recent years. Now here comes the government bringing the hammer down, stepping in here. Brand new restrictions on Airbnb introduced by the David E.B. government. The big one here, you would only be allowed to rent out your own home on Airbnb, your principal residence. Now that could include a basement suite in your house. That would eliminate real estate investors, okay? So people who buy a condo, for example, or in some cases a whole bunch of condos, and rent them out exclusively on Airbnb. Basically, rent the, operate them like hotel rooms. Now, why is the government doing that? Well, it's because they want to free up those homes for people who actually live here for long-term rentals. I got Ron Butler standing by to discuss this now. Man, there, I'll tell you, there's an interesting backlash on this. We got Airbnb operators fighting back. We got some communities saying they don't like it. Uh, the city of Penticton, for example, saying, hey, we're a tourist town here. People want their Airbnbs. Don't do this to us. Let's have a listen first here to the Premier. Here's David Eby. Without question, uh, in British Columbia, short-term rentals have gotten out of control. Uh, we have a situation uh, in our province where uh, the top 10% of hosts account for 50% of the income for short-term rental operators. Okay, David EBBC Premier there saying short-term rentals are out of control. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Ron Butler. Ron is a mortgage broker, mortgage, uh, butlermortgage.ca. Hey, Ron, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. Do you think the government's doing the right thing here? Of course the government's doing the right thing. Let's just cut through all the foolishness. At the end of the day, their hotel rooms in locations that are zoned for residential. That's it. That's all you have to understand. That's what they are. They run a reservation system through Airbnb. They advertise like a hotel through Airbnb. They're a hotel, but they're in a residential zoned unit. That's the whole story. The premier has stepped in wisely to say, this is nonsense. We're going to bring it to an end. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with having a buying a condo and running it like a hotel room? <laughs> What's the problem with that? Because it's the place that you're running it in is zoned for residential. It's zoned for people to own the property. It's zoned for people to have a long-term tenant, to have a family in the unit. It's not zoned as a hotel room. Hotels pay between five and eight times the property tax of these residential buildings. Everybody oh. wonders why Airbnb is a little cheaper. It's simple. It's, it's, it's a hotel that's being run out of a residential property. So everything works in favor of the Airbnb operator and 
that's it's a business that is all of a sudden promises have woken up. The federal government's thinking about it. They're they've woken up and all of a sudden saying that doesn't make any sense. We need to stop this. Okay, Airbnb owners and operators, though, of course, they're mad as hell. Some of them put a lot of money into buying one of these condos as an investment property, thinking that this is going to be great. We're going to make steady income here on Airbnb. Along comes David Eby, the B.C. government, says, oh, I'm going to put you out of business now. Let me play a clip here for you, Ron. This is Maria Recruit. She was on the show earlier this week. She is the president of the Short-Term Rental Owners Association of Canada. Here's what she had to say to me. It's wrong. It's wrong anywhere in the world. Because the only reason people have gone into short-term rentals is because of the laws that are governing the long-term rentals. So people are able to stay in a long-term rental and they can't evict them change the laws, then people will go back to long-term rentals. Okay, Ron, I hear this a lot from people, that they feel that the tenancy laws, especially in British Columbia, have been tilted against the in favor of the tenant and away from the landlord. I've heard from landlords say, sometimes I get I get tenants in my place and I can't evict them. I get people who don't pay the rent, they damage the place. I'd rather do short-term. I'd rather do Airbnb, make more money anyway. Isn't that one of the problems? That is a vital problem. That is a real problem. It's actually worse in Ontario than it is in British Columbia, and it's bad in both places. The landlord and tenant laws, the the way it's handled, the way it works, must be changed. She's dead right. But nothing changes the fact it's an it's effectively an illegal hotel operating in a residential building. You're never going to yeah. escape from that. Yes, fix the landlord and tenant relationship. Fix it. Change it. Make it work. But long-term tenancy is what we so desperately need in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Ron Butler, mortgage broker, about the Airbnb crackdown. Let me play another clip for you for your thoughts, Ron. This is Michael Magnuson. He was my guest earlier this week on the show. He is with the Penticton Chamber of Commerce. Okay, so now Penticton in the beautiful Okanagan of British Columbia, tourist town. People love to visit there. And he's saying, look, this is not good for us. This is not a one-size-all-fits solution because we're a tourist town. People coming to visit us here, they want their Airbnb, okay? So just leave us alone. Here is Michael Magnuson, then I'll get your thoughts. People that are staying in short-term rental facilities don't necessarily want to stay in a hotel. And while we do have beautiful hotels in and throughout the South Okanagan, uh, families or large groups often prefer to rent a house. Okay, Ron, does he have a point, like when you're talking about a tourist town? Listen, I'm okay with the idea of lakeside units being rented out short term. They, they, let's face it, somebody's been renting out a house on Salt Spring Island in the summer for God knows how long, for 100 years. You know, there's, there's ski chalets that make total sense to be uh, rented out on a short term basis. But that's not what this is about. This is about losing vital housing. Uh, to short-term rentals like they're only in use for eight or nine or ten days of the month in the downtown condo and in fact they should be utilized by a family 30 the whole year round that's reality oh, so okay i've got i got i'm okay with with obvious resort situations i'm okay absolutely okay with people uh, renting rooms out in their house but all the rest of this nonsense gotta stop yeah now it's interesting in british columbia they have brought in an exemption for tourist designated tourist communities especially like whistler or ski resorts so you'd still be allowed 
to rent out an Airbnb there. They've also exempted communities under 10,000. But you're, it's interesting, you're still going to see some communities, Penticton has got more than 10,000 population, they're captured by this, and they're saying, eh, we don't like it here. Let me play another clip for you, because the political fight in British Columbia over this is really interesting. The government has brought the hammer down. Now have a listen to the opposition here. This is BC United, their housing critic here, Corinne Kirkpatrick, on the show also earlier this week. And she said, look, I th- we think this goes too far. They actually support a crackdown on Airbnb, but she's saying, look, let people let people have just one. Okay, let people have one investment property on the side. Let them have a little Airbnb action, all right? Have a listen to what she has to say here, then I'll get your thoughts. The top 10% are those who are institutional investors, and they're running multiple units as a business. But there are 90% that are not caught there. They are uh, families who are, you know, they they may own one other property and this is to supplement retirement income yeah ron they might just have one on the side little nest egg here what's wrong with that you think that should not be allowed either though right Sounds like only being a little bit pregnant. Uh, you know, it, it just do- it just doesn't make sense. You know, why not just rent it out long term? Rent it out long term. Let- yes, let's fix the bad landlord tenant relationships we have. Let's fix that. But for heaven's sakes, everybody understands there's a problem. Everybody understands there's a crisis. Yeah, you want to have retirement income? Rent it out long term. Let's do that and forget about this crazy idea of running hotels in residential zoning. Okay, this is a real trend, right? That's what you're seeing. We see other provinces looking at the, doing the same thing or thinking about it. And the, do you say the federal government is thinking of getting in, wading into this now yeah. too? Krista Freeland commented on it about a week back that it's something that everybody should be paying attention to and looking at. They, they simply say, and, and correctly, uh, truthfully correctly, that you know houses and dwellings and apartments shouldn't be commoditized into a financial um, instrument. This doesn't make sense. Like We need housing for people to live long term. We need mm. new homeowners to have something to be able to buy, first-time homeowners. Let's just face the facts that the fact that you want to bring three dogs into a Airbnb unit doesn't justify keeping a young family from ever owning a home. It just doesn't work out. It's not sensible. Ron, thank you for coming on with your thoughts on it today. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, Mike. Take care. Let's talk about BC stepping up its target to go 100% electric vehicle sales in the province. Now, the previous deadline had been 2040 that has now been moved up by five years so now the target in british columbia 2035 100 electric vehicle sales in bc by 2035 now what would happen if we don't meet that target well there would be fines fines levied on automakers. I spoke to Blair Qualley about this on the show yesterday. He's the president of the New Car Dealers Association of BC. He says, look, hang it, you better tap the brakes here now. I don't, I don't think we can, we can meet this target. This is going to drive up the cost of new vehicles here. Have a listen to him. Question of, of rural British Columbia and the availability of charging infrastructure yeah. there and 
uh, low-income folks uh, that may have some challenges with uh, purchasing these vehicles to meet these targets. I think the consensus is this is way, you know, this is going too far too fast. Okay, the association now lobbying the government here to slow down here. Give us some, give us some time here. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Flavio Volpe. Flavio is the president, Auto Parts Manu- Manufacturers Association of Canada. Very pleased to welcome him back. Flavio, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me back on. Okay, Flavio, what do you think about this now? Because we've got lots of different targets out there to go 100% electric vehicle sales. There's a federal target there, same thing, 2035. Is this actually even possible? Not even remotely. It is actually oh. laughable how we're how jurisdictions all around the world and in this country are lining up to beat each other to a target that uh, will be missed for lots and lots of reasons. Number one, there won't be enough cars produced to displace all the other options. Number two, even if you did, um, where would we charge them? You know, um, a, a material amount of people in urban centers in this country, like 40% live in multifamily homes. Are we, what are we doing? We're going to run extension cords from the balconies down to the front parking lot. Cause we surely don't have the charging infrastructure. And then, um, you know, these things are, you know, you turn around and say, look, I think, Everybody should eat T-bone steaks uh, next year. And uh, assuming you have enough cows and assuming you have enough butchers, who's going to pay for the steaks? I mean, it it is not a reflection of what the, the spectrum of product pricing needs to be for regular people. Uh, the yeah, yeah. disposable income around this country is not uh, Tesla disposable income. And so it's, it's politics that people are going to have to uh, retreat from. You know, as we come nowhere near these targets by 2030, but it is disrupting uh, real people's real jobs. Yeah, it does seem there are escalating targets in the in the uh, earlier outlying years as well. So this um, yeah. the, the plan is here to rapidly escalate the number of EV sales and hit 100 percent here. And it, it does look that way to me. I mean, you're the expert, Flavio. But man, when I take yeah. a look at this, I just think like what? What world are they living in here? Is this even is this even possible? Let's listen to Justin Trudeau here on it, because this is Trudeau doubling down in this 2035 target. Listen to what he says here, then I'll get your thoughts. We're moving forward with specific targets of 20% electric vehicles for all new sales uh, in, uh, in 2026. 60% by 2030 and 100% by 2035. And with the kind of demand and the kind of solutions being brought forward by the auto industry, uh, it would surprise. It wouldn't surprise me for us to reach some of those targets ahead of time. Reach them ahead of time. Never mind hit the targets in 2035, Flavio. He says we could do it even earlier. Your thoughts? Not going to happen. I spoke to the prime minister directly about this many times. I think on one hand, uh, we're right as a uh, all levels of government to really push these stretch goals. On the other hand, when we attach um, some punitive targets to uh, 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 punitive numbers to not reaching the targets, uh, we are going to cause a problem. I'll be very specific. Let's say, for example, you're a car company that sells 300,000 cars in Canada, and there's a few of them that do. Uh, some of them uh, rhyme with General Motors and Toyota. Okay, so okay. if if you if there has a if you have a 20% target like the feds have set in 2026 or British Columbia at 26% and you don't meet it by 5%, okay? You have an option here. You either bring in electric vehicles 
uh, made somewhere else, you know, 15,000 cars imported from Japan uh, or from the US or from Korea or Germany or wherever else that we have no content on, we have no added value, there's no Canadian economic development on, so they meet their targets, or they get penalized uh, $20,000 a car for the ones they don't meet, in that case would be $300 million. You know, we have two levels of government that are investing billions of dollars with foreign automakers to make stuff here while then threatening to find them the exact same amounts. What you'll end up doing is uh, not just missing the targets, but also then weakening the value proposition for these companies to why invest in manufacture here? Why not just make Canada an import market? And then we all lose out. I think it's very important that we decarbonize. No question at all. We built an all-electric uh, Canadian all-electric prototype vehicle called Project Arrow. Your listeners might have seen or heard from it. Yeah. We, we've proven that we've got the technology here and the people and know-how. But we don't have to go out and injure the industry and the technology applications and the raw materials are going to go into that because we want to be seen to be the greenest uh, against impossible targets. Yeah. The Chinese that don't care about return on investment or pollution uh, are building electric vehicles at a rate that is much faster than the North Americans. They don't have these targets. They don't have to worry about democracy uh, or about pollution levels in the processes, and they can't make these targets. So my prediction, you have me on, uh, as the years go by, we will miss the targets and then subsequent governments will change them. Yeah, I was just wondering about China. I'm glad you brought that up because you were listing yeah. some of those other countries where they're making these, these EVs and would we be yeah. forced to import them? Is it possible that the only solution would be to buy these Chinese-made electric vehicles to meet the targets? Well, the Chinese are certainly positioning themselves to do it there. Yeah. Uh, BYD, which is a great company that has been backed by Warren Buffett, just happens to be a, a Chinese state-owned enterprise there. They are now just passing Tesla for uh, production of EVs, global EVs. Tesla's making cars in China. We're all buying batteries uh, from China. So they're vertically integrated lithium uh, facilities that uh, are have no, do not have anything close to what our Western standards are for carbon emissions in the manufacturing and refining process, are going to make clean batteries for us to buy so that we don't buy natural resources and parts and equipment from Canadian sources. And then we say we're clean here. Meanwhile, we just dirtied. I mean, it's the same air. We just yeah. dirtied the same air somewhere else. Sure, sure. I'm speaking to Flavio Volpe, President, Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association of Canada, 2035, the new target in British Columbia, 100% electric vehicle sales let me ask you flavio about the uh the fines you mentioned so if we don't you don't hit the targets these fines would be imposed by government on automakers 20 up to twenty thousand dollars per vehicle how would that work like would that be a twenty thousand dollar fine on a on a gas-powered vehicle like if you dare to sell a gas-powered vehicle they'd fine you 20 grand on that vehicle so it's the proposed regulation. We're waiting for it to become uh, permanent. It's imminent. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. The idea is if you sell 300,000 cars a year in this country, uh, uh, which a lot of them do, and 20% uh, of them have to be zero emission by 2026, uh, that means 60,000 of them. Uh, yeah. If you fall 5% short, so that's 15,000 cars, well, those 15,000 cars that you don't get your your ZEV credit for, you have to pay a $20,000 fine per each one. And wow. 
And if I'm running that company here, I would say I'd rather not pay a $300 million fine or a $100 million or a $50 million fine. I'll just import more stock of electric vehicles made somewhere else. doesn't matter where they're made. I'll pay the yeah. tariff to bring them in here and I'll sell them to a Canadian consumer so that we don't get fined. Uh, but all we did was bypass our industry here to go buy a car made somewhere else where the pollution occurred. And uh, so that we could be virtuous uh, or claim a, a, a certain level of virtuousness that uh, that makes us superior to other people. It, it's, and, not, it's and, not a good way to do it. Right. And potentially in a jurisdiction with much weaker environmental laws, too. Right. So if we buy from yep. China, I mean, I mean, could this thing just completely backfire? Because on a number of fronts, you'd maybe create even more climate change causing pollution in a country like China. And you'd also drive up the cost of these vehicles here, too. I mean, new vehicles are already unaffordable enough here. I mean, it's very expensive to buy a new EV. But could this regime bloat the cost even higher? Yeah, a couple of things. One, look, the, 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 the lifetime uh, emissions of an electric vehicle is lower than a, than a carbon, uh, than an internal combustion engine vehicle. But if it's uh, made in a place that has no... Uh, little or no controls on carbon emissions during the mining process and the refining process, and you add that on, you know, it starts to look like a wash. And then two, if you turn around and restrict vendors here to a very specific technology or they have to pay a fine uh, and they've got to bring them in from somewhere else and there is a, uh, you're applying a purchase incentive like they do uh, uh, out there, uh, what will happen is, there's going to be a real squeeze on the electric vehicles that are available and those prices are going to shoot up and they're going to be less accessible to the, to the uh, regular uh, uh, buyer there. And then I leave right. the last thing is geopolitics. Look, we we're we're competing as the North American sphere against the Chinese sphere around the world for influence and markets. And um, they bet before we did because they're centrally planned and they, they decided they were going to skip diesel. Like the, the Europeans went to in the 2010s, they said, right, let's just go to uh, to what they call new energy vehicles with the battery electric vehicles. They've got an incredible head start. Canada's number two to China, according to Bloomberg, for the critical minerals uh, that are that uh, are required to make batteries. But number two is uh, China's got 90% of the market and we may have a couple points. It's not We're not competitive to them. Yeah. So if we drive purchases, uh, uh, subsidized purchases, to our main competitor in this geopolitical uh, 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 economic cold war between the U.S. and China, uh, you know, we're shooting ourselves in the foot for for something that we can be thoughtful about. Like, why don't we say to the car companies and to all the other companies, here is the this is the enterprise footprint allowance for carbon your 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 buildings your people your your distribution and the life cycle of your products you have to reduce it by x amount by this year this year this year that don't make the product the only test because if the product's the only test then what we'll do is we'll purchase the raw materials and the components from other places around the world that produce them cheaper because they have a different market dynamic and uh, they don't care about, uh, or they care less than we do about the right. carbon footprint of it. I mean, we're just pushing it. You know, you're 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 in a competition, but you're pushing all the fruits and the profit to your competitor. I mean, it's silly. 
Flavio, I love the points you're making. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it a lot. Anytime. I think we need candor in this thing here. There's the right thing to do, but we got to do it the right way. All right. I've got Henry Wang standing by. Henry is a great guy. He is the scuba diver who cleans up our most popular lakes all around Metro Vancouver and beyond. His videos are awesome. He's on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. He has pulled tons of garbage out of our urban lakes. Have a listen to him here. This is one of his videos. This was recorded at Cat Lake in Squamish. Okay, here we go. Here's all the trash that we pulled out. There are 77 beer cans is the main culprit. We've got seven beer bottles, two full Coronas. I'm gonna check that out later. We've got three swamp beers, got a whole bunch of sunglasses, got a flask. I'm gonna check out what's in it in a second. And camping utensils, still it's an original package. <laughs> okay. okay, Henry Wang joins me now. Henry, thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you very much. I, I had to have to know that I can only be as entertaining as the amount of garbage people throw into the lakes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, you have no lack of raw material there, I'm sure. Let me ask you, first of all, how did you get into scuba diving in the first place? I mean, there's obviously a passion for you. How did it begin? Oh, it was purely by chance. My wife and I were on vacation in Thailand uh, back in 2004, and I kept on seeing those uh, sandwich boards that you one would see at a vacation spot that says, uh, Patty scuba diving lessons, and I, I honestly have no idea what, what it's all about because I think most people, you would only know scuba diving from watching movies. So I ended up coming home, taking some lessons, and uh, the this, this story writes itself from there. Okay, great. Well, you've really turned it into a, a, a really incredible thing on social media with your, your cleanup dives. So let's talk about that. So tell me about your videos, and I encourage people to check your videos out. I, I love them, and each video, I always wonder when I watch one of your videos, like, oh, man, what is he going to find today? How did all that begin? Yeah, so back in uh, 2019, I think I was uh, um, probably a few years behind the creators who've been uh, making videos on everything from RV life to to other things. And I thought, you know what, I, I, I could probably do this. So grabbed the, the GoPro and instead of filming, uh, very amateurish. Uh, like I, I'm not very good at it, but you know what? I think people are pretty entertained at uh, what I can see underwater because it is something unusual. Um, most people don't have the opportunity to dive into um, or to go diving, and especially at some of these lakes that uh, that require a little bit of special access. Yeah, and you you select a different lake in each video, and then you dive down, pull out a ton of garbage, and you've literally pulled out like over the years like thousands and thousands of kilograms of garbage, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think of what what is a fifty-seven thousand pounds. Whoa, I think that trans translates to somewhere twenty-seven thousand kilograms. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. And so let's talk a little bit about how do you select these. Uh, how do you select which body of water to go to and film at? Well, when we first started out, we really had no idea. I went to, um, at the invitation of my buddy, the co-founder of the organization, uh, we went to uh, Bunton Lake just for a dive. We had no idea there was garbage there, and of course there was, and we carried out what we could and went back with more dive gear, with more dive buddies, and then it occurred to us at that point, I wonder what other lakes are like. So we went to Lost Lake in Whistler, and then after that, uh, Cat Lake and Squamish, and of course there was just garbage everywhere. And then from there on, it actually became a little bit of people would message me 
on social media and say, oh, you should come and check this lake out. Like, oh, okay, sounds good. So um, I think that ball just kind of started rolling on its own. People would tell me which lakes, and I would I would go there and add it to the list. I think I'm up to about like probably 50 lakes or something like that wow. that I can go dive in any given time. So I'm not, not running out of material, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And when people watch the videos, I'm always surprised at the stuff that you you find underwater, the variety of items that you find. What are some of the typical items that you find when you go on a garbage dive? Well, I think uh, it, it's pretty, a pretty obvious for, for partying lakes and camping lakes that what we find the most are beer cans, beer bottles, uh, sunglasses, um, cigarette lighters, vapes. You know, people people lose stuff, right? When they're floating, yeah. sometimes it's they they tip their paddle board or raft or whatever and things go overboard. We do find pre, pretty expensive cell phones and pretty expensive sunglasses. So I do know that a lot of stuff is probably not malicious. Um, I, I think don't, people don't intend to throw away $2,000 cell phones. So yeah, we, we find that kind of stuff at, at camping spots and parking spots. Um, and then other things, this is probably like the most amusing dive site that I go to, which is the Deep Cove government dock. It's open 24 hours a day. There's no security. It's never closed. So in the summertime, uh, the, the local kids like to go down and throw things into the water. So we've, we found uh, park benches, parking bullars, like things that require significant amount of effort to get it to the water because they're nowhere near the water. Um, we found stolen motorcycle frames. And this year, um, I think that's why we hit the new cycles because I managed to pull out a lime um those uh, share share e-bikes that uh, oh, yeah. Vancouver has. Yeah. 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 So I guess some kids threw it in the water. So of course, uh, within a couple of minutes getting into the ocean, I, I find, you know, I find that, get it out of the water. And then, um, so, so that site there always amuses me because I never know what the kids are going to throw in. <laughs> That's amazing. Speaking of Henry Wang, divers for cleaner lakes and oceans. What's the strangest thing you've ever found in one of your garbage dives? Would you say? Oh, probably. Um, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of my, my fondest one. At Silver Lake in Skagit Valley and as well as the Weaver Lake out near Mission, um, I, I found um, really old logging tools, um, double-headed Puget Sound axes as well as um, PVs, which are log rolling tools. And they're between 90 to 110 years old because they were uh, that's how they were used at the time. That's when they were logged. And it was a real treat to find them. Um, I've uh, planned on donating them to the local uh, forestry museum when they're open back up again, whenever that may be. Uh, I think that's a really neat piece of history. It was, it was such a fun find because I honestly didn't know. It was just a stick sticking out of the mud. And as it turned out, I you know, moved it around. I oh, this has got some weight to it. And I ended up pulling out these wonderful log tools. Um, and uh, yeah, this. I can just imagine, like the old logger a hundred years ago, losing this thing over the side of, of you know, his his boat or whatever uh, would have been well. So it was quite a treat. Sometimes I'm surprised at the stuff that you find in your in your videos. You mentioned finding that that bike. Uh, I've seen you pull up bikes out of the out of a lake. Uh, I watched one yeah. video, Henry, where I think you found like multiple skateboards in a lake. Yeah. That's right. It was a, a six, six or eight skateboards, I think six bikes, something like that. And it was a Lucille Lake uh, just outside of Whistler, I, I guess around that Garibaldi area. Um, I guess somebody had gone up and built an illegal uh, ramp so that they can ride skateboards and bikes off of there. And, of course, those things don't float. <laughs> oh, 
at some point they're going to lose control of it and it ends up in the water. So I, I had no idea they were there. I just went diving thinking I'm going to find something. I'm not really sure what. Um, but there was a lot of um, a lot of bikes and a lot of skateboards for one. Yeah, so well, that was a surprising one. Would you say that this particular time of year in the fall is this a is this a busy season for you? Like I imagine that over the summer months, that's when most of the garbage gets dumped in the lakes, right? Yeah. So what happens is that we do have to be aware of safety uh, and just sheer logistics. So, for example, if I want to go to Cat Lake and Squamish, well, that lake will see between four or five hundred floaties on it during a busy long weekend. So it's really not practical for scuba divers to be going underneath tree, tree trash when there's, the lake is so busy. And then a lake such as Cultus Lake, where there's just an absolute ton of trash, um, the, the uh, ski boats are really prolific on that water and they can't see the divers. We don't know where they are. So it presents a significant danger. Uh, mm. Swimmers have gotten badly, badly injured um, in water by getting run over by boats before. Oh. So we're aware of that. So we, we tend to stay away from lakes that are heavily used, especially with motocrafts. So right now we're heading into a busier season, not because of the amount of trash, but more because there's less people on the lakes. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so we're very much aware of the amount of safety and precaution that we have to take before we get into a lake. So, okay, yeah, we're definitely getting into our busy season. Just got about a minute left here, Henry. I saved the best for last here. So tell me about the swamp beers. If When you find a, a swamp beer, what's a swamp beer? Oh, no, I didn't think you were going to ask me that one. <laughs> so, so every, of course, when people lose their stuff, if they flip their raft by accident, they're going to lose everything, cell phones and unopened beers. So when I dive, sometimes I'll find an unopened beer at depth. And, of course, 90% of the time, they're still good. So I've started making these little TikTok uh Hashtag swamp beers. I open them up and taste them, see what they're like, and I've actually found a couple of real gems. <laughs> so I call them swamp beers. Okay, don't they? I, so they must obviously the, the the bottle caps and the cans must work pretty well to keep all that lake water out of there. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, okay. there is a certain amount of pressure that kicks in at depths, but for the most part, they're they're okay. Henry, you do an awesome job, but thank you for coming on to talk about this. I encourage everyone to check out your videos. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.